So today, uh, uh, we are going to learn a little bit more about what it means to be born anew. Now, I have this wonderful bottle of sparkling ice. We buy, Becky and I buy a, a case of this, and, and it keeps us going through the, through the weeks and stuff. It's got some wonderful flavors. Um, but um, I, I have this bottle carbonated water with me, though, to uh, use as an illustration begin our time here together, to illustrate the incredible love God has for every one of us. Now, what happens if I do this? Nothing. Okay, it's sealed. I haven't opened it yet, and I've wondered what might happen, <laughs> if it might explode or not. What happens inside this when I do that? Pressure builds up, pressure builds up. Right now, this bottle is pretty taunt. And don't worry, Becky, I marked it with an X. So when we take it home, you make sure <laughs> open it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but if I were to open it right now, I'm probably not going to do <laughs> I think I'm just going to leave it right there. Anyway, what would happen if I opened it right now? Yeah, it would go everywhere, all over the place. Uh, we've had this happen before. <laughs> we've had these bottles of sparkling ice. Um, Becky has opened one or two of them before, and they just kind of went, and we're like, what happened? We didn't even shake them at all or anything like that. What's going on here? Um, as it sprays everywhere, and if I were to open this bottle up, and I wouldn't want it to spray everywhere, so I'm not going to do that right now. But... Uh, uh, when that happens, it, you can also be reminded as well, too, it kind of illustrates the love of God for us, overflowing to us. And God's love is just like that. His love bursts forward in this way. It, 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 it gushes out, it, just like that pressurized water of, 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 of uh, carbonated water there, bottle of water. And for all eternity, the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit have existed in a community of, of, of self-giving love. And the church fathers called it, in a, in a Greek word, called it perichoresis. Perichoresis. Fun little Greek word. Um, let, me, let me geek out a little bit on the Greek here for you a bit and, uh, and explain some things. Because I think it will also get some good insight on the Trinity. You know, you probably heard the Trinity explain an illustration of the egg or uh, of water with ice and vapor and all that. I think this will help us a little bit more as well, too. But perichoresis is a Greek word made by a combination of two words. Kora, a noun which means space, and the verb form, korean, uh, korean, which means to make space. And then peri, which is all around. So perichoresis, uh, roughly translated, means to make space around. And more specifically, it refers to the way in which someone or something makes space around itself for others or something else. One simple way, again, to describe perichoresis theologically is to call it the idea of God's mutual indwelling. For example, God can be both in God's self and also in us. 
in a more active sense, it's the idea of God moving in and through someone or something. It's like a swirling, or, or the metaphor one theologian likes to use, a dance, as John had the picture up behind me just briefly. I think he can put it back up, I, I, I believe. <laughs> Maybe not. He's looking at me like, uh. <laughs> Jody will help you. It's, it's like a, a, a dance. Um, very interesting, though, because the Greek word for dance is choreo, uh, choreo, like choreography. So it becomes kind of a play on words with this. So perichoresis is used to describe theologically the divine dance of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they make room for each other, move in and through one another, and dance with one another in such a way that that creates a mutual indwelling while still maintaining space for each individual. In this divine dance of love, the three persons of the Trinity love one another and have a deep connection to one another. They know each other and have tremendous joy and love together. It's uh, indwelling. It's a, a continual indwelling. There's no fear or insecurity in their communion. It's, it's just this divine dance in this way. Now, God's love is so great that He wanted to share it beyond Himself. So God, who is a creator, created the universe And God's creation is simply a a, a bubbling overflow of His love, just like this bottle of carbonated water if I were to open it. And we are the object of His love. His love is so great that He has to share His, his, His life and His love with all of creation. His love bursts forth and it gushes forward. So the next time you open one of these bottles of carbonated water. I know the Grimms have these at home as well, too, and we've uh, enjoyed them. Um, if, if any of you open any of these up again and it starts bubbling over, uh, just allow it to remind you of God's love for you. <laughs> bubbling over. Now, I can, I can just, somebody's doing it. Here, open this. Hey, it's God's love. Here you go. <laughs> I don't know if they'd appreciate that too much. But anyway, don't take that too far. <laughs> But today we're going to look at a story from the Gospel of John. Uh, A Pharisee named Nicodemus comes, and he visits Jesus at night, and they have a very interesting conversation. A familiar one, possibly, to to most of you, but it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read those verses. Uh, It's not going to be on the screen behind me, just the reference. You can look it up in your Bible. And... uh, We'll start with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not going to drink from that. <clears throat> Make a big old mess. But you don't know where it comes from. Um, okay. Where come from? Or where it's going. This is verse, um, verse 8. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we'll stop right there. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee who comes to Jesus at night, possibly in secret. Was he afraid of uh, being seen by others? Maybe. He definitely wanted to meet Jesus in person, though. And we aren't, uh, we aren't sure at this point if Nicodemus was coming to Jesus in sincere faith, or if he, uh, he was just curious and wanted to know more. Maybe a little of both. Sometimes Pharisees would come to Jesus in an attempt to uh, trick or trap him, but that's not what's happening here. Either way, Jesus was approachable and welcoming to all who came to him. So in this first portion here that we see in John chapter 3, we see that in Christ we are born anew. Now, Nicodemus knew that Jesus was distinctive and unique, and he confesses to Jesus in, in verse 2, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus responded in verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And, and, and that word translated again in the Greek is anathen. And that word onathen, which can be translated in several different ways, it can mean again, it can mean anew, it can mean from above. So Nicodemus took Jesus to mean uh, that word onathen again. And that's why he asked the question, do I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? What do you mean? And so in a literal sense, of course, uh, in verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. By being born anathen, Jesus meant anew. A rebirth from within by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 5, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, there are many views given to explain Jesus' words right here about being born of the water and, and the Spirit. But the two that seem to me could be the best explanation uh, is the contrast between physical birth, water, and spiritual birth, the Spirit. 
There's another explanation too that being regenerated by the Spirit and signifying that, that rebirth by Christian baptism. I think the combination of those two help us understand what is being said here. Now, in baptism, when we go down into the water, we are symbolically buried with Christ and, and united with Christ in his death. And when we are raised from the water, when we get baptized, it symbolizes how we are born anew and are united with Jesus in his resurrection. Water baptism, we, we perform those for those who want to be baptized. I've done them in pools. I've done them in lakes. I've done them in rivers. Haven't lost anybody. Uh, I've done them in other churches because we don't have a baptistry here. But uh, we are in good relation with the Happy Valley Baptist Church down the road, and we can use their baptistry as well, too. And all those moments and the situations of baptizing people, it was an opportunity for them to give a testimony of why they're doing this. Why are you being baptized? And every moment of the time, it was always to declare something that happened to them. It was an outward expression, the baptism, outward expression of an inward change. What happened? What changed in their lives? And for, for some people, they get saved, they come to the altar, they come to Jesus, or whatever, however the setting is, and they receive Jesus as their Savior, then they want to be baptized because there's something new that's happened here. And I want to have this outward expression to let people know what has happened to me, an inward change. For me, it didn't happen right away after I got saved. It was later down the road where I realized, wait a second, I haven't baptized yet. What, um, let me look into this a little further. And I'd been a Christian for a number of years. I said, wait a second, something's missing. And, um, and so I was uh, uh, counseled in that a bit and, and explained some of the things about that. And realize that being baptized is out of obedience, of course, but it's also, too, to let people know that something has changed, something different in your life. And for me, I was going through a situation of, of trying to uh, surrender my all to God. And it was a moment then where I, I felt like this was, this was the journey for me, and I've, I've come to the point where this is where I'm going, I'm, I'm going to give my all to God, and I just want Him to have full sway in my life. Whatever plans I have, I'm giving them to him. And if he wants to change them, he sure can. And, and he has. He has done that a number of times. And uh, when that happens, to say, yes, Lord, because you know what's best. And so when I got baptized, that was, that was my testimony saying, I've, I've been a Christian for a while. I've never been baptized. But there has been a, a moment in my life where I just I felt I need, need to surrender my all to God. And let him call the shots. Allow him to be Lord of my life. And so that was my testimony in, in the water baptism that I had. Again, an outward expression of an inward change. Um, and then after baptism, our focus locks onto the crucified and resurrected Christ who now dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Our life starts to look like the life of Jesus, uh, we are daily crucified as we pick up our cross and follow Him. But we are also daily resurrected with life and love and joy all along the way because we now have entered the uh, perichoresis, the, the eternal dance of love with the, within the Trinity. 
We are immersed, baptized into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, we have entered the kingdom of God that Jesus speaks about in verse 5. All that happens now, now, in this life. Not later on, not after we die and everything else. We can enter into the kingdom of God today. So Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus the importance of a spiritual rebirth, saying that people don't, don't enter the kingdom by living a better life but by being spiritually reborn. So Nicodemus simply responds with a question in verse 9, how can this be? <laughs> how can this be? Well, we find out here in the verses to come, God loves this God-hating world. <laughs> God loves this God-hating world, and that is part of how this can be. It's clear that Nicodemus did not understand being born again or being born anew like we do today. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of church history and biblical studies to use as, as hindsight. And, uh, and, of course, not to mention the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us to all truth. But he asked a good question. How can it be that we are born anew? Like, not doctrinally, but in re reality. How can I experience this renewal in my life? Uh, how can I experience it practically today? I'm sure that's a question we would have before God. As a Christian, we have this, this salvation experience, but then how can, we, how can we be renewed in Christ so that we can live that abundant life? But it's a great question. Jesus responds by pointing to his own crucifixion. Verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Jesus is referencing a story in the book of Numbers, which Nicodemus would have been familiar with. There was a time when poisonous snakes were killing many of the Israelites. And remember, the Israelites were in the wilderness among dangerous creatures and their travels. And to remedy this, Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Wow. So Jesus is saying this is the first step to experiencing this renewal in your life, being born anew born again. First step towards a total transformation. And Jesus is comparing himself to this bronze snake. Jesus knew he would one day be lifted up on the cross for all to see. And anyone who looks to Christ on the cross receives life. And later Jesus would say in chapter 12 of Gospel of John, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The, that Greek word uh, in, that, in that verse for the word draw literally means to drag or to pull, to pull someone. John, the writer of the gospel, continues in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, with a very familiar verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And now we come back to where we started. Do you remember this bottle? You probably have not forgotten that little bottle of soda there. And how God's love is like that water, ready to gush forward because it's meant to be shared. God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son to endure the cross. And this is even more mind-blowing. God loves us even when we hate him back. You can't erase the love of God. (laughs) God loves this world, this God-hating world. He doesn't love only those who love Him back. God loves absolutely everyone. You, You can't get away from that. Jesus came and died for absolutely everyone. And Jesus didn't come and die because God God saw us as his enemy. It's actually the opposite. Jesus came and died because we saw him as our enemy. We considered him an enemy, going against what we wanted to do in our life, going against our goals and our desires. Who is this God that wants to keep me from having a good time? Who is this God that wants to keep me from doing what I want to do? God has never considered us his enemy. God has never hated His creation. God's core nature is self-giving love, and everything God does flows from that core. Our nature is quite different. We are the ones who considered God our enemy. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Part of being born anew is seeing our Heavenly Father with brand new eyes for who who he truly is. He's love. Colossians says we thought we were God's enemies, but that was only in our minds. God loves this God-hating world, and Jesus died for it. Jesus was lifted up for it, and He will drag all people to Himself. A huge way we partner with God in this mission is to love our own enemies. That's a big task. Those who hate us. Maybe those who hate us and have no reason to hate us. How can we interact with them? How can we show love to them? In fact, if we are Christ-like, we will consider no person our enemy. That might be a hard sentence to take. If we are truly followers of Christ... We will consider no person our enemy. Why? Because God never considered us his enemy, even when we hated him and didn't understand him. We should regard no one as an enemy. Now, we might not have a very kind expression for them, or we might think less of them. There's probably some people you can think of, maybe in the political realm or whatever else you're thinking of, that, ugh, i in the same room, I just couldn't stand it. That's fine, I guess, to have those feelings and emotions, 
but it shouldn't keep us from praying for them. It shouldn't keep us from considering them through God's eyes and, and seeing them as a created person that needs the Lord, <laughs> needs a relationship with Christ. Everyone we meet is someone to be loved. Everyone we meet is someone to be served, to be blessed, and to be prayed for. If anything, we can be praying for our enemies if we consider anyone our enemies. We can be praying for those we, we, we dislike, we just don't, we can't be in the same room with. You can be praying for them at least. One day they too may be dragged to Jesus, and you know what? They will be brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you going to do then? <laughs> How are you going to deal with that situation then? A lot of people had to deal with that with Paul when he was persecuting the church and he came to know Christ. And there were some of the followers of Christ were going, oh, not sure. You remember what he did? How many Pauls in our life do we need to consider to be praying for and not consider our enemy? Also, once we, we are born anew, we receive this new heart. God rewires our internal hardware, as we talked about last Sunday. And Scripture tells us in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is an Old Testament prophecy about God's upcoming new covenant fulfilled in Christ's death and resurrection. It's amazing. It, it sounds like Jesus talking about being born anew, doesn't it? Our new heart is like God's heart, full of self-giving love for those around us, including those who regard us as their enemy. No matter how impure your life is right now, God offers you a fresh start. You can have your sins washed away, receive a new heart for God, and have His Spirit within you if you accept God's promise. Why try to patch up your old life when you can have a new one? <laughs> and we know that God loves this God-hating world because Jesus came to save the world, not condemn it. The gospel writer drops this, this little zinger in the conclusion of our text today in verse 17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, maybe, maybe this is the something distinctive and unique that Nicodemus understood about Jesus. Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees, and we know that the Pharisees' vibe was not, not to save the world, but to condemn the world. They were more condemning than loving. And because of that, they had it backwards from God. And they modeled to people an angry God who demanded, you follow the rules or else. Jesus gave off a completely different vibe. And John, the gospel writer, nails it right here. Jesus was the opposite of the Pharisees. Jesus demonstrated a God who was completely upside down from their understanding. 
God does not condemn the world, but came to save the world through Jesus. Can you see how that's, that shift is pretty significant? God isn't going to condemn this world that He made full of wonder and, and, and beauty. Neither is He going to condemn the billions of people He made in His image. He isn't going to condemn anything or anyone. His mission is much more difficult. He is going to save everything and everyone who believes. He does give a choice, though. You have a decision to make. But God didn't send Jesus into this world to condemn us, but to save us. And the Greek word for save right here means to heal, to restore, or to make whole. Jesus doesn't come to offer us some flimsy salvation that's activated only when we die and go to heaven. Jesus comes to save us today, in this life, to heal us, to restore us, and to make us whole. That's the kind of salvation the world needs, right? This world needs to be healed. It needs to be restored. It needs to be made whole again. And this is why Jesus came to do exactly that. I want to conclude this time and this message today with some questions for you to think about. One question is, have you been born anew? Have you experienced that? If not, would you like to be? Today can be the day of salvation for you because you're just a prayer away. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? If not, would you like to be? Now, of course, I can't do it right here, and I'm not going to open this up to do it. But, um, but would you like to be baptized? I, I would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to have a discussion with you about it and what that looks like for you, be able to baptize you, and see what can be done. One last question. Do you see God as angry and condemning or as loving and saving? Have you grown up in a situation? Have you always been told God is watching you? Look out. You make a wrong move. You're toast. And, have, and if so, have you had a difficult time trying to grasp onto this concept that God is love? God wants to save Those questions, I leave with you. And if you want to talk to me about any of those, pray with you about any of those, I sure would love to. And that first question, you can take care of that yourself with God. <laughs> right here, right now. Back in 1986, August 12th, at a youth camp, that's where I gave my life to the Lord, received his, his salvation, was born anew. And the thing is, it didn't happen at the altar. <laughs> it happened right back there in the bench. And someone came right over with me and prayed with me.
So the thing is, the altar is, is here if you want to pray, but it's not, it doesn't have to happen. What has to happen is your time with God in praying. Easy prayer. God save me. I know I'm a sinner. I need, I need your cleansing. Wash my heart. Clean me up. Help me to follow you. It's a simple prayer. And it doesn't have to be those specific words, but it's that concept. You can take care of that today if you'd like to do that. But I encourage you, however the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, that you would respond in obedience, whatever that might be. And if you need to take time in prayer right now, just kind of take care of some things with God or allow God to continue to minister in your heart, allow that to happen. And as you do so, remember in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Remember that promise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer right now, I ask, Lord, that you would continue to meet the needs that are right represented right now here. Lord, there might be someone here today that has never prayed to you to receive you as Savior. Maybe there's someone joining us online, the same thing. Lord, I pray that they would realize that they're just a simple prayer away, a simple prayer from the heart asking you to save them, identifying that, yes, I'm a sinner and I need your help. Clean me up, Lord. Create in me a new heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide them in this. And, Lord, that you'd bring your assurance in their hearts, in their life, that they have been born anew. They've been born again. Lord, for some who are here today, maybe they've experienced you as an angry, condemning God. I pray, Lord, that they, had all, they, they just realize that there's a balance with that. Yes, you are a God of wrath, definitely. But you're a God of love. You've, you've sent your Son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So, Lord, I pray that we would realize that aspect of God in our life. You're a loving God that wants the best for us. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us get another perspective, a different perspective on you, of your character. And Lord, as we sit and pray, I, I ask, Lord, that you again would just meet with each person here today in a special way. And Lord, thank you for being with us, meeting us, and meeting our needs at this moment. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray.